Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Open our hearts and our minds, Lord, to what you would have us to hear and help us to understand this truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Would all our service men and women remain standing and the rest of the congregation can be seated? I would admonish you this morning to look around you at the men and women that you see standing here today. And uh, before we depart from this house today, would you take time to thank them for their service? It's because of the sacrifice. That's all right. It's because of their sacrifice that you and I are able to enjoy, and it's because of their sacrifice that we're afforded this opportunity here in the morning. Thank you, men and women. You may be seated. If you would go to the book of Mark, please, book of Mark, chapter 9. As you can see, our multimedia is out of commission this morning. I've asked Brother Mike to turn off the air conditioner and the the ushers are on the way in with some sawdust, and we're going to see if we can do this old school. But if you have your Bibles, the book of nine, this book of Mark this morning, chapter nine, and we'll begin reading in verse 14. As I've already stated this morning, I have some lengthy reading to do, uh, but I believe that it's necessary and important. Uh, because there's a journey that I want to take us through this morning. And uh, after completion of this reading, if you wouldn't mind, just leave your Bibles open or your electronic device, and I'm going to refer back to these scriptures. Now, uh, don't let that alarm you because I'm not going to spend a lot of time on each one, but uh, we'll, we'll be done and in time out of here in a timely fashion. I want to say thank you on behalf of every saint of God in this place that uh, I know there are some of you in particular who has took it upon yourself uh, to be in prayer over Crossroads Ministry, our prison ministry. And uh, we thank you for that. We are seeing tremendous strides, and God is doing great things. Just last Sunday, Brother Rayleigh and his team baptized two men at our county jail, and we're thankful for what God is doing. Book of Mark, chapter 9 and verse 14. And when he came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude about them and the scribes questioning with them. And straightway all of the people, when they beheld him, were greatly amazed and running to him, saluted him. And he asked the scribes, What question ye with them? And one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit. And wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him, and he foameth, and he gnasheth with his teeth and pineth away. And I spake to the disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. He answered him and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. 
And they brought him unto him, and when he saw him straightway, the spirit tear him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming. And he asked his father, How long is it ago since this came unto him? And he said, Of a child. And oft times it hath cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Ladies and gentlemen, there is a world that echoes the cries today. Have compassion and have help on us. And you and I have been afforded the opportunity today that we have the answer. We have that help and we have what it is that can fill and sustain a life. And Jesus Christ said he's come to give life and give life more abundantly. And he's give us that today. Verse 23, Jesus said unto them, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believe. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, but help thou my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto them, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter no more into him. And the spirit cried and rent him sore and came out of him, and he was as one dead insomuch that many said he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he was coming to the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could not we cast him out? And he said unto them, This kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. I understand, as I've already stated, that this was lengthy reading, but I feel it's important on this journey that we're about to embark. And I want to talk to you for the next little bit about valley life. Everybody say valley life. For the sake of time, we didn't read them, but in verses 1 through 13 of this chapter, Jesus has taken three disciples up onto the mountain. He's taken Peter, he's taken James, and he's taken John. And he's took them on the mountain, and Scripture says that he was transfigured before them. In searching the dictionary, you will find the word transfigured to be defined as to change outward appearance or to transform. Or another definition says it like this, to change so as to glorify or exalt. In other words, what we can derive from that meaning or that notation is that Jesus became on the outside what he was on the inside. All of his righteousness, all of his holiness, his oneness. God allowed these three disciples to see everything that was in here. He opened up so they could see it on the outside. And for a brief moment, the veil of flesh was put aside and the disciples were able to see the glory of his deity. The disciples saw Moses and Elias and they listened as they talked with Jesus about the impending death that was about to come on the cross. Scripture says that they even heard the very voice of God coming as out of a cloud saying, this is my son, hear him. The disciples must have been beside themselves with excitement as they came down the mountain. They certainly did not understand everything that had happened to them, but they were no doubt full of joy because they had been on the mountaintop with Jesus. They have seen Elias, they have seen a Moses, and they have heard the very voice of God. This was a real mountaintop experience. They were at an all-time high. How many know what I'm talking about this morning when we've come into the house of the Lord and the Spirit of God moves so strong and the Holy Ghost walks up and down these aisles and we're encouraged and we're filled with, with power and, and there's nothing, nothing that could cause our faith to falter or waver at that point. There's nothing that could overcome us. We could take on anything 
that may come against us in this life. But then we have to go back into the real world. And suddenly the disciples found themselves in this very real world. Verses 14 and 15 describe the situation. They, they saw a multitude and they seen a group of people, these scribes and Pharisees that were questioned the remaining nine that were left down in the valley. And, and they beheld them and were amazed. And, and, and scripture says that they run to Jesus to salute him. And when Jesus and the three disciples came down from the mountain, they, they now find the others engaged, if you will, in an argument. It was a noisy scene. The disciples who remained in the valley are being they're being heckled, they're being mocked, and there's a group of people that is causing them confliction. And it seems that this desperate father has brought this possessed son to Jesus for healing, but when he had arrived, Jesus had already went upon the mountain. And so he had asked these remaining disciples, can you do something for him? You see, there are times that you and I are put into situations where we're asked, can you pray for me? Can you do something for me? Can you help me? That's why it's important that we do not waste any minute or any time in the house of the Lord because we come in this place to gain strength. It's in the house, this house, that we're going to gain the strength we need to go into the world. Jesus had gone up on the mountain and the men were trying their best, but they had been unable to cast out the demon and the scribes are contemptuous and and they... They are being heckled and mocked for their lack of power. They, they are assumed that they have no power. And no doubt the scribes and the Pharisees of this day were delighting in the failure of the disciples. I'm sure that they found it amusing that they, the disciples have professed this power and this wonderful name of Jesus. But yet they could do nothing with this boy. They were using the failure of the disciples to argue that Jesus himself also lacked power. The crowd judged Jesus by his disciples, and they still do. You heard me right. The crowd still judges Jesus by his disciples. You and I are his disciples. And there's people that we will encounter every day that are going to judge him. They're going to judge this church by the way we conduct ourselves. They're going to judge Jesus by the way we talk. And we can either make that a positive influence, or we can influence in the wrong direction. So it's important how we carry ourselves outside of these walls. It's important how we talk in the hardware store outside of these walls. It's important how we conduct ourselves in a restaurant because the world is watching. The world is watching people who follow him. And they'll make a decision. Many people will make a decision based on the way we conduct our lives. If that's what Jesus is about, I want it. Or either if that's what Jesus is about, I want no part of it. When the people saw Jesus, the text tells us that they, they were amazed. And I believe that they were amazed because the sudden appearance of Jesus. He was on the mountain. Everybody knew he was gone and nowhere to be found. And as the crowd attacked his disciples out of nowhere, Jesus appears from the mountain. And I want to tell you this morning that he's still an on-time God. He's always right there when we need him. Sometimes it doesn't seem like he's too early. Sometimes, in our opinion, he's even too late. But he's promised he would never leave us nor forsake us. When Jesus arrives on the scene, he asks for an explanation. In verse 16, he said, what, what, what are you questioning my men about? What are you talking to these disciples about? And one out of the crowd speaks up and said, Master, I have brought my son 
I have brought my son and he's full of a dumb spirit and whatsoever he he taketh him, he teareth him and he, he foameth and he gnasheth and he pineth away. And he said, now I asked your disciples, I asked them, could they do something to help me? Is there something that you could do to help me with my son? And, and he concludes verse 18 by saying, and they could not. I have studied and read some excerpts where some modern commentators rendered this boy as an epileptic. And I believe they have done that to accommodate our modern sensibilities. But I submit to you this morning that it was much more than epilepsy. The Bible teaches that evil is not just an impersonable force. What this boy faced was more than some neurological, but it was demonic. Hollywood has portrayed evil through movies and and through some far away, and they create never-never land creatures to, to help us think that, that it's really not that bad. But I submit to you today that we face a real spiritual battle. That's why Paul was so adamant when he said that we should gird our loins with truth and we should shod our feet with the gospel of peace and that we needed the breastplate of righteousness and we needed the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation and above all else, taking the sword. Our pastor is so adamant in his teaching that we should never allow ourselves to to get caught up in dabbling with the tools of the enemy. See, Satan has many tactics and tools that he tries to, to sneak in the back door with us. You have to be real careful what you allow to take in your mind. That's why the helmet of salvation is so important. I gotta be conscious of what I let enter into my mind. It's important what I watch. It's important what I listen to. And it's important to what I'm reading and what I'm taking in. And that's why we should never, never be caught up in, in dabbling with the things of the world. In some way, this boy has become a victim of demon possession. We are told that the evil spirit throws him down. and The idea is to take hold of him and possess him. And that, that's the plan of the devil. He's come to kill, to steal, and destroy. You see, he wants to throw you down and cast you down and he wants to pull us off of this mountain but we've, we've got to understand that, that as long as we keep our focus on him if we can stay focused on what's important and the important thing is Jesus Christ then we can guard against the wiles of the devil the boy no doubt had both physical and emotional scars from his injuries afflicted over the years there are people you and I have come into this house and there are things that we have suffered in our life that has impacted us emotionally. There are things that we have went through in our life, Brother Rayleigh, that has impacted us spiritually. But, but Jesus is a healer of all. I mean, we're talking about the first and the last here, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the author and the finisher. Brother Chris, he's the creator. He stood upon that mountain with those three disciples and with Elias and Moses, and it would have been easy for him to say, hold on just a minute, boys. I've got some men in trouble down below, and I'm going to perform a miracle. But that wasn't how Jesus done it. You see, Jesus doesn't stand on the mountain commanding his power upon the earth, but what Jesus does is he goes down into the valley. He goes down to where the hurting are. He goes down to where the, the bruised and the iniquity are. And that's what he's asked of us today. He's asked us to go down in, into the valley with him. And if we're ever going to share this love, if we're ever going to share this truth, we can't live on the mountaintop all of the time. But we have got to go into the valley. You see, it's in the valley 
where we discover crowds of hurting people who need help. Mountaintop spiritual experiences are wonderful. Nothing, nothing any greater than a power-packed Sunday morning service where we can dance and shout all across this house and sing praise and worship unto the Lord. But we've got to take what we get in here out there. We can't make it, ladies and gentlemen, without the power of the Holy Ghost directing and guiding our lives. In the valley, the challenge is to translate this mountaintop experience. What we feel in here, the challenge is to carry this beyond those doors. Because if we can get this out there, we've got the answer. We have something that can help someone. What we feel and experience in this house this morning will absolutely mean nothing if we don't take it back down into the valley of our lives tomorrow. Wednesday night, Elder Brother Gibson had spoke a powerful word that I have dwelled upon for the last few days, and it, it, has, it, has, it has pricked my spirit, Brother Rayleigh. He said we can't just know the truth, but we got to do the truth. Now, there's a big difference in knowing truth and doing truth. You see, there are a lot of born-again Christians who know the truth, but the problem in this day and age is nobody wants to do the truth. And we've got to love this truth enough not only to know it, but to do it. You know, as adults, we, we, we know what's right and we know what's wrong. And we, you know, there's, there's laws in our state and our country that we try to follow. And if, if you're traveling down the highway at 75 miles an hour, you know that that's wrong. But there's something in us that we're, we're always trying to get to the next point or the next destination. So, so we know it's wrong. But yet here we go speeding down the road. As a child, I can remember my mother, and I'll, I'll, I'll forewarn you before I share this story. Don't allow the, the spirit of offense or the bait of Satan to take over and, and be angry with my mother because she was doing the best she could. But I can remember as a child where she grew weary, her right arm grew weary of disciplining me. So she had derived this cunning plan and out of nowhere she come up with this, this tactic, this tool that, that would forever impact and change my life. And she decided that she would wear out my right hand and she come up with this tool of writing sentences. And I'm not talking about just a few sentences, ladies and gentlemen. I'm talking about hundreds upon thousands of sentences. And it wasn't just any sentence, but she took pleasure in taking these sentences from the very word of God. And I can remember time after time, all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, Revelations 21 and 8. And I knew the truth. But see, I had a problem doing the truth. But when we get the word of God in us, when we get the spirit of the Holy Ghost in us, see, it can begin to develop us. And as we know truth, then we can begin to learn truth. After you have had a mountaintop experience with God, you, you tend to think that everything is going to be all right. I've, I've, I've been on a mountaintop high in here today with Jesus Christ, and, and this week is going to be fine. Everything's going to be all right. Things are going to go my way. I'm going to get a big check from the IRS. I'm going to get a raise on my job, and everything is going to be perfect in my life because I've been on the mountain today with Jesus. But that ain't the way it happens. Sometimes the enemy, he, he really breaks loose against us. And, and that's normal 
That's normal, so don't be surprised, but be ready. Because whenever God opens the windows of heaven to start blessing you and I, you can be very, very certain that Satan will open the doors of hell to blast you. Always remember this. When hell is blessing, I mean, when heaven is blessing, hell is blasting. You know, one of the things that we spend a lot of time doing in our prison ministry, Brother Rayleigh and Brother Donnie and the other men, is that when you minister to these young men and they're making a change to turn their life around, the first thing um, that a lot of them will assume is that everything is going to be perfect. I've lived this way all of my life. Now I've turned my life around and I'm following after the path that God has laid before me. And it's going to be a bed of roses. And we have to instruct and we have to with love and compassion share this with these men that that's not the way it's going to be. You see, when I spent all of my time in the world in a state of misery, yes, I was in. But the devil didn't mess with my mind. He had me, he had me where he wanted me. There was no need to torment me. But when I decided to turn, Brother Rayleigh, when I decided to make a conscience effort to do what I knew in my heart was right, see, that's when the enemy comes against us. God gives us these mountaintop experiences in order to equip us to minister in his name. But often we find ourselves to, in attempting to do his work without any success. We roll up our sleeves and we work even harder only to fail. Most of the time we don't understand we don't understand why. Perhaps I'm not working hard enough for God. Perhaps I'm using the wrong method. What is it? Why can't my ministry progress? And why can't I see results? And that's what I want to point to this morning. That no doubt as the disciples descended the mountain with Jesus, they were filled with an afterglow of this marvelous experience. I mean, they was on the mountain with Jesus. They had seen seen what he was on the inside. They had seen that on the outside. They were no doubt full of divine encouragement. But what they were about to confront was altogether different. You and I received divine encouragement in this house. But when we depart, what we encounter is altogether different. And we got to make absolutely sure we get everything we need in here so we can take it out there because we're going to need the strength of the Lord. Verse 17 says that one of the crowd answered and said, Master, I brought unto thee my son, and he has a dumb spirit. You can read the book of Matthew, and he adds to the account that the father literally got on his knees. Luke tells us that the father said, I'm begging you, I'm begging you to look at my son. In our text, the father in agonizing detail describes this pitiful condition of his son. Every verb that the father uses in verse 18, if you will notice, is present tense. He describes a horrible ongoing situation of demonic torment. Wherever it sees him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth. He, he gnashes his teeth. He becomes rigid. The boy's agony was no doubt demon-induced, causing him to scream and to foam at the mouth and to have violent convulsions in which he threw himself in the fire. I stated earlier that the purpose of the devil is to kill, steal, and destroy. And that is his purpose in the end, is to throw every one of us into a fire. And we've got to fight every day of our lives to stay above the means of the enemy. And we've, we've got to practice, and we've got to practice what we preach. Now we have prepared because it's in the valley that you're going to find out if you've got what it takes to help a hurting world. 
You've come into this house. He's filled us with his spirit. We're full of the Holy Ghost. We've been baptized in his name. But Brother Chris, do I got enough of it to take into a world that's hurting and needs help? He said, I spake to you, the disciples, that they could cast him out. And they could not. Whether you realize it or not this morning, this building that sits beside a little old county paved road makes a promise to everyone that passes by. It makes a silent promise that God is in this house. If you need help, if you need restoration, it's here. Here is a place where God can take your life and turn it around. And, and it's here in this place where God can bring healing and, and God can bring salvation to the lost world. This, this church building promises if you need God, he's here. But what happens if the world comes in and finds no help for their problems. I wonder when people come into Hatchman Apostolic Church to worship with us, what, what is their thought as they leave? Do they see the power of God at work in our lives? Do they see people who are, who are progressively changing because of the power of God? Or do they come seeking fellowship and acceptance but leave saying, and they could not? I'm afraid that you could write these words and they could not over many, many churches today. I don't think that we are that church. I believe that we are a church that can offer help and hope and I believe we can and do offer a safe haven in the midnight storm. But we can't forget that we must continue to take these mountaintop experiences into valley life. It's not enough to come in here on Sunday morning and Wednesday night, and dance, and shout, and carry on, and not take this back into a lost, hurting world. The disciples had earlier been successful, but now after a week of Jesus' absence, they were powerless. Their failures was not because they did not try. On the contrary, I believe that with everything in them, they was trying to cast this demon out. With everything in them, they was trying to help this father and this boy Jesus, as he descends from the mountain, says, bring him unto me. You know, every man and woman in this house knows what it's like to be disappointed by people because people are human and they will inevitably let you down. And I've often wondered how many people in the world are going to spend an eternity in hell, not because he's not almighty and not because he can save all, but how many people are going to spend an eternity in hell, Brother Kenny, because they seen an individual, they was, they was mistreated by an individual who represented Jesus Christ. And because of that, they want nothing to do with the church. Because they, they, was, they was mocked or because they was treated unkindly, they, they assume that they, they associate us with the church. And because of that, they want nothing to do with the church. Well, I personally believe, and I believe it's scriptural based, that we will have to answer on the day of judgment for every wrong that we've ever done. Because if you have had a disappointing experience with the church or if, if some Christian has disappointed you, what I compel of you today is just to come to Jesus. It's not about the people in this church. It's not about the decorations on this wall and it's not about these padded pews that we sit in. It's not about the music. It's not about the speaker. But it's about him. 
And when we put our focus on him, he's, he's the one that matters. Heaven and earth, all things are going to pass away, but his word is going to stand. It's important to remember while we're on the mountain that we're going to be able to receive what we'll need in the valley to help a hurting world. He's promised us. He said in Acts 1.8, I've give you power. So we, he's not sending us into the world powerless and he's not sending us into this world alone but he's given us a promise that he's going to help us. We find where this father has brought this child and Jesus asked him, how long? How long has this been happening? And the father replies from childhood and he, again the father tells him that he's thrown himself into the fire and the water. Make no mistake about it, this man wants help with his problem. And make no mistake about it, ladies and gentlemen, there are hurting people in this world who won't help. But they're waiting for someone. They're waiting for some individual to show them the love and the grace and the mercy that Jesus Christ has to offer. The father in this story relates how he had for years dealt with the affliction of his son. When someone deals with something for a long time, whether it's an illness or an addiction, it's very easy to lose hope. Sometimes you have a pain and the pain continues to go on and on and after a while you just kind of learn to deal with it. Whether it be a, 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 a sore knee or a sore elbow, you just eventually learn how, how to deal with it. And after a while the pain don't seem that bad, but it's always there nagging, nagging and, and tearing away at us. And Imagine if you will what it would have been like for this father. While others are teaching their son a trade or perhaps in the street throwing ball with their son, this, this father spends his whole time trying to keep this boy alive. Eventually, problems like that will affect an entire family. In fact, the family becomes defined by their problem. There, there's the family with the demonic son. Others in the community would best feel uncomfortable and at worst unsafe around this boy who is possessed. They would think that it's best to keep their distance. And sadly, that is the way that the church in some areas has become, that it would be best if we keep our distance from a polluted world. But that's what not we was, that is not what we was commissioned to do. He said, go into all of the world. And don't think for one minute that anything has caught Jesus by surprise. He knows, he knows every sickness. He knows every disease. He knows the turmoil that this world is in. And that's why he needs a church and a body and a group of people that will carry out his, his will and his call. The boy's condition demanded constant attention. The father could not leave his son alone for a minute because he knew the next time at any moment an attack could have come. He had to be on alert at all times. And that's why he was so desperate when he said, if you can do anything, if you can do anything, have compassion. Have compassion on us and help us. And ladies and gentlemen, we have got to have compassion. You cannot help people if you don't love people. You've got to be compassionate about people. You see, Jesus knew what the problem was. And Jesus, without a doubt, knew he could heal the boy. But Jesus had an ulterior motive. You see, he wanted to do more that day than just cast a demon out. What God was trying to do that day was to, to cultivate some faith. He was trying to cultivate some faith in the disciples. He was trying to cultivate some faith in the Father. And he was trying to cultivate some faith 
in the multitudes. Mark, in the book of Mark, he's already told us of two other parents that Jesus had helped by healing their children. Chapter 5 and chapter 7. In both situations, before Jesus helped them, he pushed their faith to the very edge. He had made the man wait until his, his daughter had died until he healed her. And he all but insulted the woman in chapter 7. And he even gave an illustration that classified her with dogs. And for the third time in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus is pushing the faith of a parent to the very edge. For now, this man appeals to Jesus, and Jesus, he turns it back on him. The man is asking for help, but Jesus, in verse 23, says, If you can believe, all things are possible to him that believe. Jesus is saying, if you believe, it can be done. And that's what he says to us over and over and over again. If you can believe, it can be done. In this biblical story before us this morning, ladies and gentlemen, the father was called upon to believe because Jesus Christ told him his faith was the condition of his son being healed. The condition of many things that you desire, many things that you need in your life is going to result in the condition of your faith. If you cultivate your faith, if you grow your faith, God's going to grant what we ask. The question is not whether or not he's able. God can do all things. The question is, do we believe? Faith does not consist in believing that God will do something because God can do anything. You know, sometimes we can get focused on, can God heal my affliction? Can, can he heal this disease or... Can he heal these achy joints? Can, can God do this for me? I've seen him heal others in the church. I've, I've seen him bless others. I've seen him heal Brother Fears, but, but, but mine's a little worse. Can God really do this for me? And we can't, we can't get caught up in that kind of mindset because it creates an avenue for the enemy to induce doubt. And when we begin to doubt, we, we lose faith. The, the thought process and the focus that you and I must have and possess is that God can do anything abundantly above and beyond. In this house today, there are some parents just like this man in the book of Mark. Your faith has been pushed to the very edge. You have been tried. You've been tested. And you sometimes feel like you don't have any, anything left to offer or to give. But if you hear nothing I say today, I've stepped to this desk today with a word from the Lord. God is cultivating your faith. Don't you give up now. Don't give up on those lost children now. They're alive because of your prayers. They may not be in this house today, but because of the sacrifice that you have made, because of the time and consecration that you spent along with God, he's kept his protective hand upon them. You keep praying and you keep pressing because your miracle is on the way. This has to be one of the most abused sections of scripture today. People have ripped it from its context to teach all kind of absurd things about faith. 
some fail in taking the scripture beyond what it is saying and what it is saying that you can have whatever you wish for but we've got to develop faith and we've got to cultivate faith I fear that we as apostolics fail in not taking it far enough we fail to have all God intended because we don't have enough faith and we don't pray for faith we won't help with our problems and he wants to help us he wants to develop faith in us but if the truth is told there are a lot of apostolics who would probably just as soon get by in this world without faith we don't we don't want to have to trust and we don't want to have to depend on him we want to get by on our own we want to be successful in everything we do without being dependent Upon Jesus Christ, we want to be able to handle everything on our own. But God is he's wanting us today to put all of our trust, all of our hope and our faith in him. This father's cry for help with his faith in verse 24 is in fact a, a cry of faith. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, I believe. But Lord, would you help me with my unbelief? For me, this is one of the most honest and transparent responses ever recorded in the Bible. Jesus knows the very intent and the very thought of our hearts. And sometimes we try to mask the way we feel or we try to cover up how we really observe a situation, but he already knows. And hear this father today, he knows he does not have enough faith. And he's asking God to help him with his unbelief. We've got to understand, ladies and gentlemen, that in the valley life, only Jesus can help a hurting world. He uses us. And for whatever reason, we'll never understand until we get on the other side why he chose the imperfection of humanity to spread this gospel. He could have used any tactic that he so desired but he used, he used one of his creations that is so unpredictable to spread this word. Mark said in 25 that when Jesus saw the people, they came running together. The fathers told him of this, this spirit that the child has. and The spirit cries and is rent sore and Jesus casts this devil out of him. When the spirit had left this boy, he lay on the ground, some presumed that he was dead. And a lot of times in life, there are those who the enemy has left for dead. But Jesus, when he takes us by the hand and lifts us up, Satan is not going to give up without a fight. So we must continue to fight. Satan's not going to turn your loved one loose without a fight. So you're going to have to keep fighting and you're going to have to keep pressing. Jesus hears the father's explanation and he commands this boy to be brought to him. And when he arrives, the demon in the boy recognizes Jesus. And it's at that point that the spirit wanted and desired to take this boy's life. But here he is in front of the master and like he always can, Jesus commands the demon to leave. And to leave and never return. We know from scripture that he cried out. And the boy becomes so still. And those thought he was dead. But Jesus took the boy by the hand. 
lifted him up. Luke adds that Jesus gave him back to his father. They were amazed at his majesty. The Lord did more that day than dispose of a demon. But he gave this boy back his life. And he gave him back to his family healed and whole. And I want to tell you today that God is going to give some children back today. God is going to give some lost loved ones back today to some parents in this house. The loved one that you have travailed over for years. The enemy has convinced you that there is no way that they've gone too far. But I'm telling you now that Jesus Christ can reach down into the very bottom of the world and he is going to bring them back whole and healed. In closing this morning, we're going to discover that valley life requires dependence on the Lord to help a hurting world. We can't do this on our own. We come into this house and we have a relationship with him. We build strength and he encourages because he realizes that we can't face the enemy on our own. Verse 28 says, And when he was coming to the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could not we cast him out? And he said unto them, This kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. If we was to refer back to chapter 3 in the book of Mark, Jesus had commissioned his disciples with the power to cast out demons. So it is reasonable, therefore, for them to expect that they should have been able to do this task which that had been laid before them. He's several, several passages back, he's, he's given power, Brother Polk. They have the power to do this. This should not have caught them by surprise. But like most of us, the disciples did not want to share their embarrassments, so they waited till they got in the house alone with him to ask him why they couldn't do it. And they didn't want the scribes and the Pharisees to hear them pronounce that they, they readily acknowledged that they, had, that they had failed. They asked the question they had been aching to ask. Why could we not cast him out? I'm going to tell you today, when you can't do things in, on your own, when things don't go as expected, it's time to pray. In the parallel account, Matthew tells us that Jesus said that their failure was because of unbelief, manifested by a lack of prayer. The problem was instead of trying to defend themselves, you see Jesus come off the mountain and found his disciples being heckled and being mocked and they was, uh, in, in our modern vernacular term, they was in an argument. They was in a debate with the crowd. And they had a choice that particular day it was pride or prayer it was defensiveness or dependence and they made the wrong choice instead of praying it was too prideful and they thought it better to argue and, and debate with the scribes and the Pharisees when Jesus says in verse 29 this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting Jesus is not saying that they are faced with some kind of super demon. The point is, is that when they run up against circumstances which 
contradicts their experience and their expectation. When they failed, when they shouldn't have failed, they should have been successful at this. They had the power. They'd been given the power to do this. But when things didn't go as they should have gone, they should have prayed, and they didn't pray. Jesus is not saying here that there's some kind of magical power. You can just say a little quick prayer on the spot. But Jesus implied that they was neglecting their prayer life. If I'm going to have power out there, Brother Rayleigh, I've got to work a long time and I've got to develop a relationship with him before I get there. I can't go out there today on a whim and think, and think without him I can accomplish this. Without him I can do this on my own. We can't walk a walk of faith without him. Scriptures make it difficult for us to extract some kind of foolproof formula for spiritual success. But what we can extract from Scripture is that we've got to have faith. Honest, vulnerable, trusting faith. Prayer is a link in transferring the power that we find in here out there. The power of the mountaintop is available every day. You don't have to to be in this, this church setting to gain power from God. But you can gain power from Him every day. But to gain power from Him, you've got to develop a relationship with Him. And it's through that relationship that He, he gives power. As we stand across this house this morning, on the mountaintop there is the presence of a precious Savior in the valley where there are messed up people who are crying out for help. On the mountaintop, there's worship. But in the valley, Brother Chris, there's, there's work. On the mountaintop, there is power and purpose. And in the valley, sometimes there's frustration and failure. Everybody wants to stay on the mountaintop because in the valley, there, there's demons in the valley and there's disease and sometimes there's even death. But Hatch been apostolic, we have been called to, to valley life. We've been given the tremendous responsibility to not only know the truth, but to do the truth. Many years ago, there was an old country song entitled, Here in the Real World. And you and I today live in the real world. And for most part, as much as we would like to spend all of our days inside of this sanctuary, for the most part, we live in valley life and we have to be prepared to do whatever God has called us to do whether you've been called to help the hurting whether you've been called to minister to the gospel whatever it is that God has placed upon your life and make no mistake about it every man every woman every boy and every girl in this house has a calling upon your life God did not create us just to go through life haphazardly but he has a purpose and he expects us to cultivate our purpose. And he expects us to, to, to build our faith. And he expects us to follow him. Paul's, Paul was very clear when he said, follow me as I follow Christ. And Paul, as great as he was, as great as all these biblical characters are today, they're no different than you and I. They're human. And God loves taking his creation and using it for his power, his will, 
in his purpose. As we lift our hands across this house, would you ask the Lord to, to give you strength in this time of need? Father, I love you, and I'm so thankful, God, for your power and your presence. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.